G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is study 12, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 50, which we could call the end of the ministry in Galilee. It's on files 12a and 12b. This is an important chapter for at least three reasons. The first is this. It contains the important question, who is this, in verse 9. Secondly, the even more important answers, the Messiah, in verse 20, and the Son of God, in verse 35. That Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, in verse 22, is also important. And thirdly, it ends the second and long section of Luke's Gospel, chapters 3 to chapter 9 and verse 50, telling us that Jesus sets out for Jerusalem in verse 51 indicates the end. This whole section is about Jesus' ministry in Galilee. We'll start off by reading the first nine verses. When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet, and then you leave their town, as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead and others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about. And he tried to see him. Jesus gives surprisingly detailed instructions about how the apostles were to go on their very first mission in the first six verses. Of course, the culture in which they were to operate was very different from today's, anywhere in the world. We might wonder if he sent us on mission what Jesus would forbid today. Would it be car, mobile phone, iPod, radio, credit card, bottle of spring water? Would we survive without these things? First question. Under what circumstances should we shake the dust off our feet as Jesus told his disciples to do if they were not welcomed in a certain place. This is a tricky one to answer. Perhaps Paul did this in Philippi. It says in Acts, they went to Lydia's house and then they left. The locals could not be said to have welcomed him. It says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. But there are stories in the history of the church 
where people have worked and ministered in a new area for a very long time before anyone came to faith. When that has finally happened, there has often been a real movement of the Spirit. It is hard to say that workers should not have waited. The next story is of the feeding of 5,000 people. We read that in verses 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves and bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about five thousand men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces that were left over. That account of the feeding of the 5,000 plus people is written so as to remind us of the Last Supper and of our communion service. It includes the words, taking bread, giving thanks, broke, and gave two. So, it follows very closely the pattern of the Last Supper. Question two. What do the statements, Jesus said you give them something to eat, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, mean as comments on the Lord's Supper? We meet at the table of our Lord to receive grace and renewal from Him as we remember the most significant event in history. Yet we bring food to the table. We have a part to play in the ceremony. Such is the grace of God that we have much left over afterwards. For all the wonder of the simple ceremony, we have a part to play. By the order Luke puts things in in this chapter, he suggests that in the eating of bread they recognize the Messiah, because Peter's recognition of Jesus follows this account of the feeding of the 5,000. In Luke chapter 24, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Question 3. How does that thought, whether taken from this story of the feeding of the 5,000 or the event on the Emmaus Road, translate into our communion service?
It is his ceremony, not ours. We are to see, beyond the bread and the cup, that he is there and blesses us. Continue reading verses 18 to 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day will be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Herod asked, who is this, earlier in the chapter? Peter answers here, as Jesus prayed and talked to his disciples, in a way that was completely meaningful in that culture. Question 4. Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, which is another word for the Messiah of God. What is the best and most accurate way to answer the question, who is this, in your culture? <coughs> The answer will depend on where you are. To many people, to say he is the Christ is only to give him a name, so that is not very meaningful. The Son of God is one possibility, but that can be misunderstood in some cultures. The Saviour is another possibility. The title Jesus used of himself, Son of Man, is both difficult and puzzling which is perhaps why Jesus used it. It meant really no more than a, a male human being, but is used almost as a title in Daniel chapter 7 of a person who seems to represent the people of God. Jesus may have used it as a clean sheet of paper on which he was able to write a meaning himself. The question, who is this, receives a further answer, in what we call the transfiguration, that is the event when the whole appearance of Jesus was radically changed. We read of that now in verses 28 to 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James 
with him and went up in, onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud, saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Question 5. We must try to think of what this would have meant to the three disciples who witnessed what happened. What will their first reaction have been to the presence of the three figures? What will the brightness of Jesus' clothes have meant to them? And then what will they have thought when they heard the voice from heaven? There are really three questions there. Seeing the three figures, they will have thought that Jesus was of the same importance as Moses and Elijah. Then, seeing how changed he was in appearance, they will have decided that he was the most important of the three. Finally, the voice will have said to them that he was fundamentally different and important in a completely different way than Moses and Elijah, who represented the law and the prophets, and therefore the whole of the Old Testament and Judaism. The voice that told them to listen to him also tells us to listen to him. Finally, we're going to read verses 36 to 50. We will stop there, and not at the end of the chapter, because the next verse says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and there are many statements that he was on his way in the next 11 chapters. Luke has written a journey documentary in those chapters. This is the end of his ministry in Galilee, the northern province of that area, and the furthest from Jerusalem. Verses 36 to 50 then. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg of you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. O oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. 
Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they could not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the greatest. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. These two episodes both remind us that the Christian way is not one of human strength and power. Not only are the disciples unable to heal the boy with the evil spirit, and required to start acting in a more childlike and less assertive way, but Jesus is going to be betrayed and killed, as we read further back in the chapter. All this has been well summarized in the phrase, the way up is down. Question 6. When we kneel before Jesus and confess our sins, we say we are down. He will then lift us up. That is the Christian way. Have you set out on that way for yourself? Only you and the Lord know the answer to that question. I hope it is the right one. May the Lord be with you. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.